0: Welcome to the Law Spot podcast with your host, Melissa Gray. Join her as she highlights legal professionals and trending legal issues facing entrepreneurs and small business owners. Ready to dive into life and law? You're in the right spot. Welcome to the Law Spot. I'm so excited about today's guest, Gabriella Smith, uh, who is a fellow lawyer and friend originally from argentina she routinely advises clients on international contracts and regulatory matters and is the council of choice for latin american companies doing business in the u.s so welcome gabby thank you gabby will you just share a little bit about your practice and how you got started in this very particular niche and um, explain a little bit about your firm
1: sure So I have been uh, practicing for 14 years now. I started at a uh, medium to large law firm in Pennsylvania uh, as a commercial litigator. And then I decided that I wanted to become a transactional lawyer. So when we, my husband and I moved to Texas, I transitioned to a transactional practice primarily focusing on international businesses coming to the U.S. and selling their services here. Um, I found that niche by researching, uh, you know, what would be a good type of client for me to work with in a very natural and cultural um, way Uh, with having kind of an American culture and a Latin American culture. It's really easy for me to relate to my clients, but I can also help them navigate the entire US side of of the business. So uh, I've been at my firm for almost 10 years, and um, I basically represent uh, companies that provide services, and I represent them in the entire business cycle from company formation to contracts, to issues that arise, compliance. And then I love to work on the project of uh, sale. Once the client decided that they got big enough that they want to sell, I help them with the sale of their business. And I would say that probably 90% of my clients are inbound businesses from Latin America or other parts of the world, but primarily Latin America that provide services to U.S. companies. Do you find that uh,
0: companies in Latin America are really uh, hesitant to to contact a lawyer from the beginning, and and why do you think that is, and what what do you share with them to get them more comfortable with like the whole process of engaging with a U.S. lawyer?
1: Yeah, so there are really two types. I, I can probably classify these com- these companies in two categories. One category is a do-it-yourself. And they jump in and they do it themselves kind of by Googling, trying to find out what to do. And then they call me when they have a problem or they get stuck or they get screwed. (laughs) It's like, unfortunately, part (laughs) of my language. So that's one. And then the other type, I would say, is a very cautious, aware that they are in a completely different environment, in a different country, in a different type of legal system. Uh, Latin America is primarily a... Uh, statutory uh, legal environment where everything is written by statute in the U.S., we have a common law system. So that's one of the main differences. So um, I would say that uh, the better option is to always contact the lawyer before you jump on a transaction. I've seen a number of deals that were either made online with forms found online, with services that are you know, purporting to, to provide a legal service that really isn't. Yeah. Um, so my option is always to call us, the lawyer, whoever they choose, before they, they get into a deal because if you call us after you get into the deal, there's only so much that we can, we can do. We're bound by, what, by the deal that you made without asking. So, um, you know, the better option is always to call first.
0: So, and I want to get into some of those stories where they got screwed and then called you and then you tried to sort of pick up this the pieces. But you recently um, touched on, like, the myths about doing business in the U.S. So I don't I don't want to skip over those because I think it can add a lot of value to people that are in Latin America or, or another country about the differences that, that stem from the legal system or culture but right. are really... Uh, contributing to their hesitation uh so can you go through those those things and and maybe debunk some of those for us
1: sure i yeah i actually uh got published in uh, forbes argentina and forbes in uruguay talking about four very strong myths that exist i would say all of all over latin america about doing business in the u.s so the first one is that it is very complex and very difficult to either form a company or run a business in the US. And that myth is really uh founded on the notion that in Latin America today, in 2023, it is still very hard by and large. I don't wanna, you know, it's not a blanket issue, but it's a majority of the countries make it very hard, difficult, and long to create a company and then Every step of the way, a lot of the things that we do in a private session in the U.S., like a company agreement or corporation bylaws in Latin America, those have to be registered documents and stamped in, you know, with different peoples and notaries and and lawyers and semi-quasi lawyers, which is also a type of lawyer that exists there. So the truth in the U.S. is we don't have any of that here. Generally, forming a company is very simple and running the company is very simple. In Latin America, for example, for people to maintain a company open has to, in certain cases, have a certain revenue or do certain filings or certain reports to the government. By and large, that doesn't happen in the US. For example, the only filing, other than paying federal taxes, right? but the only filing that you have to do in a Texas LLC is your franchise tax report, which is a one time or once a year report where you just have to tell the state how much money your business made and then if you meet certain thresholds you have to pay taxes. Uh, that's the only situation where you have to report to the state. It happens once a year and if you don't report, then the state can actually cause the uh, suspension of your business, but they can that's really the only type. It's not uh, an ongoing you know quarterly report or anything like that the second myth is uh, also one that, that i've actually seen happen to a client that was that went, you know was ready to sell the business is the myth is that you have to have an american shareholder or an american llc uh owner right one of the members has to be a, an american citizen or resident or else you can't form the company that uh, the the issue of having at least one shareholder who is a owner in a business is very true in other countries, not in the U.S. You don't have to have a U.S. citizen or resident as one of your shareholders. You can be 100% foreign-owned, and you don't have to have that person. So what happened to that client is that he was selling a business, and I saw in the papers that there was a 1% ownership in a third party that he wasn't even in connection with anymore. And unfortunately we, you know, when we went to sell the company, we had to pay that person their share of the sale
0: because
1: Mm -hmm. these, you know, this person that client had, you know, mistakenly believed or somebody made him believe that he needed a local owner. So, okay. Um, The third myth, and this has come up in my practice many times, is that if you are not a citizen or a resident, you can't sign a contract, an American business contract. And that is not true. There is no requirement of having citizenship. The only requirement to sign a contract is that you have capacity, legal capacity. That's a matter of, of local law, the, of state law, which is you have a mental capacity and the age to sign a contract and the age I mean, it depends on the state, but I think it's 18 or 21 years old, uh, depending on the state. And capacity means that you're able to make decisions, that you're not under a judge's order uh, to have somebody else make decisions for you or anything like that. So, no, you don't have to be an American to be able to sign the contract or bind your company to an agreement. And lastly, the... The one that affects, I would say, equally American uh, business, small businesses, and foreign businesses, is that I shouldn't negotiate the contract because I don't want to make the other person upset. I don't want to create any friction. Maybe you know I don't want to lose the client. I don't. I don't want to offend somebody. But the truth is that in America, we we negotiate contracts all the time. Even if you're negotiating with your family, you should have a good contract. Nobody will be upset if you want to change something that is more uh, beneficial to you or that maybe makes the contract more even or, or things of that sort. So those are the four myths of, uh,
0: you know, Thank doing business
1: you. in the U.S. Yeah. Awesome. Well, those are – and that last
0: one I think is, is – um... When we were talking before you said it's, it's sort of a cultural thing too they are uh, in Latin America they're less adversarial than we are in the U.S. or what they perceive to be adversarial and pushing back so I'm sure you have experienced that in your practice where they failed to put a document in place or they accepted terms that were less favorable to them and when we were talking about this this podcast I thought we could do a little story time on, on a couple of those that that you've encountered and then maybe, you know, rewind and say, okay, this would have been better for them if they had followed this instead. So um, friends and family, a lot of times, uh, you know, don't want to put in those things. And so share with us, uh, you know, a few of those stories so we can highlight how that happens. It happens so easily, but also why it's so important to, those boundaries in place up front
1: right so i mean it really starts with the fact that today is very easy to go and open an llc online without actually talking to a lawyer who would tell you what your options are so we see people come and tell us hey i have this llc i went on these uh, this website this other website i paid 50 bucks And then I got these papers, right? And I'm doing business with my friend, my partner, my my girlfriend, my wife, my ex-wife, my cousin, whoever. And now things are happening. So um, one of the ones that uh, we've worked recently is two buddies, best friends. uh, One of them more business savvy than the other who took the time to get a lawyer and offered the other party Uh, a very small percentage of the company and to grow one of the branches that the company opened. And in that situation, the guy that was growing that branch was very hardworking, very trusting, and signed the papers uh, and worked and worked and worked. And fast forward to the recent times uh, the buddy who created the company, when, when bothered to talk to the lawyer, wants to sell the company, and issues come up when the person who actually built the company and this particular branch wants to protect or understand his rights. Well, his rights are very limited because back in the day, ten years ago, he signed certain things that were allowing the business savvy person really control everything that happened in the company the sale process and and things of that sort so um we are at this point where not only this is a this is this is a really three hats the two friends are business owners of the same company uh one of them is an employee and the third layer they're friends Um, you know we go to each other's weddings we go on vacations together but then the truth is as much as you could love your friend, your family members, unfortunately, sometimes humanity shows the greedy side. And when it's time to talk about money, people are not as loving as they were when, when they, were, they were having drinks you know, in Cancun. So um, we have a really a threefold relationship that's very difficult to navigate between one friend who's still very loyal to this other friend and doesn't want to, Say too much. The other friend who's really not caring, I mean, you can see that. And then you have one friend, one of the people is an employee, afraid to say his capacity as an employee. He doesn't want to get fired. He's trying to figure out what are my rights as an employee? Am I going to get fired if I claim that I want a piece of the sale? So it's that fear. And then the fear of what's going to happen to my sweat equity. Yeah. You know, well, you know, what's happening? What Do I have access to the records as an owner? Can I see the business records? Can I see the conversations with a potential buyer of the company? So it's a very, very complex, as little as it sounds, you know, two guys doing business. I mean, it it sounds very basic, very simple, but it really isn't. Uh, And then for us lawyers to sort it out, I mean, you know, you have to read the, the documents that were signed and you have to compare that against the law and understand was anything, is anything out of bound? Can we claim that this agreement is not valid because the law doesn't allow it, you know? And then there's the emotional side of the entire situation. Now, how could that be, have been resolved is spend the money. I mean, spend a little bit more money in the front of the deal And get the lawyer, get them, and get a good lawyer, get them to tell you your rights. Because, you know, lawyers could also be pulling documents offline. I mean, understand the document, understand the law. What are your rights? What protections should you have to be able to enter into business with anybody?
0: So um, let's go through those controlling documents, LLC, corporation, Uh, What are the versions of those documents and what are the provisions that you would say, let's say that they don't have a lot of money at a minimum, what should they be honing in on that is really going to impact their, their ability to, you know, go into the future should the company grow and where do they want to focus when they're presented with this thing that's overwhelming to them?
1: Right. So, so let's think about for the LLC first the first thing you want to make sure is that whatever percentage you agreed to have you actually have in writing that you own that percentage or if you agreed to have sweat equity where you would work and after a certain time you would earn that percentage then make sure it's in writing i mean a a handshake is i mean technically a handshake would would be valid but then you would have to go to court to prove and you need witnesses to show that yes I heard him say that he would have X, Y, and Z. So uh, it's easier to prove that you own a piece of a company if it's actually written and if it's written well. So that's one, and make sure that whatever sweat equity, whatever percentage you agreed to have, is actually in writing, okay? Um, other things, if you are going, especially if you're going to be a minority owner, that means somebody, who owns a small portion such that you don't have the voting rights on major decisions. If you have a minority ownership, if your body says, I'll put 100K and then you run the business for 20% and to make major decisions, you need to have a 50%. As a 20% owner, you will never be able to vote on anything. And so understand if you are a minority owner, what are the rights that you don't have? For example, right to bring other partners, their right to uh, sell the business, their right to sell the assets of the business, their right to be diluted. So if your majority partner wants to bring more people and then they want to dilute your 20%, uh, the, uh, there's also some non-competition issues, see what you're signing. I mean, there's so many things. There's an entire code in Texas and and a similar code in every other state that talks about these issues. So make sure you understand what you're getting into.
0: So let's say you're, um, you're fine being a minority owner and you know that you're never going to have decision-making power, but this person ends up wanting to go through with a sale. What uh, provisions do you want to at least protect the valuation component and make sure that you are getting what you're owed for that particular percentage.
1: Right, so you wanna make sure that you have access to the documents of the company. Um, That's generally granted to you by law, and you wanna make sure that the company agreement that you signed doesn't restrict that in any way such that the person would have grounds under the agreement to fight you over it. Even if the law gives you the power, if there's anything in writing that restricts that power and that person wants to go with the restricted version of that, I mean, you you just have to always, always have, and this is where the negotiation point that we talked earlier comes uh, in, is you always wanna make sure that you have the necessary power. So access documents in any, uh, you know, minority owners should have the power to approve the sale of equity or the sale of the assets of the company. And you should make sure that you have some kind of power to get what you deserve. And that, those are just two of many that we could, we could talk. Uh, there's, there's also rights. I mean, it, and it depends on, again, some of these turns into your level of knowledge on the management of an LLC. There are other things that can happen that can help you or hurt you. For example, uh, you should see if your LLC agreement has a clause permitting the majority member to drag you into a sale that you don't agree. There's drag-along and some other rights called tag-along. Some are more friendly than others, but the majority owners, if they drafted their company agreement in their favor, they will have rights to dilute you, force you to sell. sale, or allow the company to issue more membership interest, diluting yours. So in that case, for example, to prevent dilution, you wanna make sure that you have a preemptive right to buy a percentage that is proportionate to what you already own, so you're not diluted. So there's so, so many options, uh, some of which don't really come up in, in the small business, but a small business can also grow very fast. In this viral social media world, you can have People who become, you know, big businesses overnight, uh, big, uh, you know, bringing money overnight. And there was actually in the news about a nurse that I don't know if you saw it, but she published something on TikTok and her business became a boom overnight. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Well, and I think, um, getting back to just that upfront investment, that this is a hot button issue it's like the same thing in my practice where people don't think that filing a federal registration for a trademark is necessarily worth the money because they don't see the immediate return but when you're when you're in a situation where you're where you're just starting and you're deciding how much to put aside for legal fees what conversation do you have with the client about like what is a reasonable amount to invest in these sorts of things on the front end for your protection long-term because I've heard you had this, I heard you had this discussion with a client and I thought it was really well done. So I think that would, that would be
1: a lot of value. Right. So, I mean, I think you should, I mean, if you're starting a business that will be your, your income, right? Your, your, if you're starting a business that you're betting on, it's it's not a passive business. This is something that you are putting your time, your sweat equity, Monday through Monday, 24-7, or even less, right? I'm I'm going to the extreme, but if you're going to dedicate your life to this business, you should be, I mean, you should be willing, I think for $1,500, $2,000, you can get a lawyer to review the company documents and to explain to you what is in them and what is not in them. So you can make an educated decision as to what you should argue and shouldn't argue. You know, in the example that I'm mentioning with a person who did not argue, who did not read the papers and who signed, I would have uh, just a few tweaks in the existing contract would have left this person in a much better place. I would have the person also, you know, we talked about wearing the hat of a friend, the employee, the business partner, they don't have a written employment agreement. So the person becomes an at-will employee almost automatically by law. So what you know what you know what do you do what are your what do you do as an employee what do you do as a partner and then your friendship I don't know if you can you know you can save it so these are the things uh, that you want to pay attention to so yeah I would think we're not talking about ten thousand dollars I, I think you know a, a good lawyer should be able to review the contract and help you at least give you tips a discussion discussion point with your friend your partner. To be able to understand or if you're if you're okay with risk at least understand what you're risking because you're you're talking sometimes pay the lawyer now to do a good good job with your you know starting your business or really pay the lawyer later when you're fighting over potentially millions of dollars so i'd I'd rather pay you know 50 you know 1500 bucks now 2000 whatever it is and not pay 50 later you know, hiring a litigator who will have to spend hours and hours building a case with a case that has a lifespan of however many years you were in that business.
0: Right. So you mentioned uh, non-competes in the context of these uh, partnership agreements. And I think that's really important. The FTC has already said there's going to be some shift in that arena. But let's say, you're subject to an agreement today that has a non-compete in it. Why is that so important to pay attention to and and what are the key components of that in relation to these agreements and and where that can leave you in the event you're a minority owner?
1: Right, okay, so non-competes, for everybody listening, can take they can can be in different types of documents. You can have a non-compete in a employment agreement, You can also have a non compete in your partnership agreement, your LLC agreement, some other corporate documents. So, I know there's a lot of information out there on employment agreement. They're very uh, regulated when they're valid and all of that because essentially the government doesn't want homeless people because they signed a commercial agreement, right? So, I'm not going to touch a a lot of. I'm not going to discuss the non competes the employment agreement. But the non-competes can take different shapes and forms in company agreements, particularly with the LLCs, right? And so what what could you see in LLC agreements that you need to understand or raise your hand or flag it? You can see discussions about fiduciary duties. You can see information about business opportunities. And then you can have a straight-out non-compete. So let's talk about the three of those. So let's talk again about the person who's building their career on this particular business. They are, again, we'll go back to the same example. You have the investor, the buddy who has the 100 k and then you're the minority owner. You're going to put so many years for equity, and this is your livelihood. Um, What are your fiduciary duties? You need fiduciary duties are duties that uh, generally an officer, of the company owes to the business right so if you see fiduciaries in in your agreement understand uh there's a meaning under state law on fiduciary duties and some of those can and cannot be waived so if you're accepting a job as the ceo or cfo of this business and you have a fiduciary duty obligation under your llc agreement make sure you ask what, it, what does this mean? Okay. And I'm not going to go over the detail because these fiduciary contracts or clauses can be drafted in different different ways. The next one is, is interesting. So business opportunities. Business opportunity, so what happens if you are the two partners and this is a, a furniture uh, sale company, right? You're putting your life on this business. You're running it. You've opened many branches. And... Your cousin tells you, hey, I want to do furniture business too. Why don't we partner up and do it this other company? So that's a business opportunity in a similar business under your current, basically, your first LLC. Your first LLC was a furniture business or is, and then your cousin says, let's go do this on this side. Do you have a duty or are you free to go with your cousin while you're still maintaining this job, can you go do this other job as, as officer, as employee, but also as owner or manager of your LLC? That's a question. It's an open question. You will have to understand what your LLC agreement says and what the state law, uh, particularly the business organization's code of your state, uh, in our case we're in Texas, and you have to understand what does that say, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and so that's, you know, there are some contracts that will say, If you have a business opportunity, you have to present it first to your other uh, shareholders, your other members. And if not, they might have rights and they might have the power to go to your other business and grab those profit, the profit. So be careful with that. And then the last one is the true non-compete, which is you may not do X, Y, and Z. So those three types of uh, LLC agreement clauses, can be in your LLC agreement and you are not aware. So you should understand what are your obligations. And, I mean, especially let's go to the example of the person who is dedicating their business to this company, right? So these are very important clauses to take care of or at least understand because maybe you became an expert and after 10 years you want to branch out. And you have the know-how. You know how to, how the business runs. You know how much money you need. And maybe your other partner won't let won't want you uh, won't let you get off of it. It will keep you to this non-compete or this business opportunity clause, and it, they won't let you go and be free. So even if you don't have an employment non-compete, um, you could still be subject to a non-compete from the LLC side. So be careful. And then how how they're sorted out and what's their their result? If I don't like it, it really depends on case, a case by case basis. So, uh, really, the best advice is read your contracts, understand your LLC agreement, and if you see any of these terms, make sure you ask a question.
0: I was that was going to be um, my my closing question. Like, if there was one thing, and I think you just answered it, which is dust off those papers, or if you find out you don't have any get some drafted and right. the key clauses uh that we talked about today are just so important to at least understand and if you don't raise your hand is is there uh an opportunity for people to renegotiate them let's say they they read it and they they find that they've been subject to some of these pitfalls that you talked about what what are their options or potential
1: options Right. So they can, yes, they can absolutely renegotiate an LLC the agreement. They would have to uh, do a, what's called an amended and restate it. If they have to restate the whole thing, and it depends on what they do. But yes, you can absolutely change specific clauses or you can change the entire document. You know, um, you wish as a lawyer, we see so many unfair situations. You wish people would have a more positive side Sometimes, but unfortunately, when money comes into play, sometimes, not everybody, but many people will just get the, you'll get the worst out of people. And and like I said, best friends are now worst friends and relationships break. And this is true. And then both people are hurt from both sides. You know, the one that got screwed because the body screwed them, but the one that screwed the other one, they know what they did. They know exactly what they did and it will be on their conscience for the rest of their life. Whether they would like to admit it or not, so I would say, don't be afraid. I know lawyers don't have the best of reputations. I think this is, I mean, everywhere in the world. I think for some reason we've, we've built this reputation, um, but you know, at least I know your case. In my case, we really do want to help people. We want to. We want to see people succeed, grow their business, help their families, become better. Every day, So that's really, you know, I wish I didn't see so much um, injustice, uh, but at least when, you know, with cases like the ones I described today, I get to work and try to get some justice for, for my clients. But yeah, ask questions. Um, you know, you sometimes you can Google questions and find them, but for some of these issues, you know, even us lawyers who do this for a living, we have to be focused we have to have this paper next to this paper and compare we have to have different perspectives and context to be able to give you the best advice but you know do seek that advice it's, it's worth your time in your pocket so how can people get in touch
0: with you if they want to if, you know dust off their contracts and and talk to you directly about their options or if if there's an international client coming over that, that wants the opportunity to work with your firm.
1: Sure. Uh, Thank you. So you can, I think there's two main ways. You can go to www.gnslawplc.com. We have a form where you can contact us. And uh, that will come straight to our firm. And then the other way you can just email info at gnslawplc.com and we'll get we'll get uh, connected with you. We'll send you our calendar to have a quick introduction. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well I
0: can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, It was so good to talk to you. Reach out to Gabriella if you find yourself in need of uh, tightening up some of those agreements. But uh, until next time, thanks, everybody. Thank you for having me.